It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Good afternoon, Market Radio fans. It is episode 56. Your boy Dark Fox here in the seat with you again this week. For October 7th, 1996, at the Savannah Civic Center, Savannah, Georgia, hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Eric Bischoff, Mike Tanay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is the 17th week in a row for Nitro to win the ratings war with a 3.5 to Raw's 2.1. There are 4,300 in attendance. No idea how many people actually paid to be there. But there's a $54,000 live gate, so that's always something, isn't it? Tony is again on a bump as we start off the show. He and Larry then recap last week's shenanigans shenanigans with Miss Liz. Uh, We're going to recap that with some footage, but only once Liz leaves the NWO's room. Larry nails it on the head that Liz got caught, which when you're with Savage could mean that you were polite to somebody at a drive-thru. Tony and Larry, just prior to the match, show the recap of how Public Enemy lost the belts on Saturday night, and that dumps us into our first match for the Tag Team Championship of the World Harlem Heat with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry defeating Public Enemy in a non-title match. Three and a half out of five. First, you might be asking yourself, what the fuck? I thought Public Enemy were the champs. Well, as it turns out, they tried to play politics and talking Sullivan into that whole injury gimmick last week so that they wouldn't have to be the ones to job to the Outsiders at Halloween Havoc. Bischoff was pissed. So on Sunday, on Saturday night, they dropped the bells back to the Heat, who would get a bonus for making the Outsiders look good at Havoc. While still employed at the WCW until the end of 98, the public enemy were on Bischoff and Hogan's shit list and would never get another title run. In mid-January 99, they would sign with the WWF, and uh, listen, they would serve as jobbers to all of Vince's guys until they were released in early April that same year as part of Vince's, I'm going to bring wrestlers into my company, have my guys just totally annihilate them and then send them fucking packing. And I don't care what kind of problems they have because I don't actually have a wellness policy yet to pay for all their bullshit. Anyways, they uh, hit the bingo circuit after this until they broke up for a little while. In 2002, Rock Rock died from a heart attack. In 2003, Johnny replaced Rocco with Joey Grunge, his quote-unquote brother. And in a 2005 Johnny Grunge memorial for Rocco during Hardcore Homecoming, which again was another Vince production designed to bury ECW. In 2006, Grunge died due to complications from sleep apnea. A medical examiner concluded that it was due to heart disease and obesity. Now, despite having toxic levels of painkillers, I'm going to try to pronounce these properly, but I am not a fucking medical professional, right? Um, Chrysoprodol? Yeah, anyways, that's a uh, highly, highly addictive painkiller and another highly addictive <laughs> addictive painkiller in hydrocodone. So that was awesome. Opioid, great. Now listen, I don't doubt the guy's heart gave out, but fucking hell. Legal drugs killed this guy. Anyways, uh, his widow has since become an advocate for drug, drug abuse um, in wrestling since 2007. 
I mean, really, at the end of the day, I know this sounds harsh, but you got to love wrestling. If the illegal drugs and alcohol abuse doesn't kill you, then the legal ones will. And still old school guys like Hall and Nash love to mock new generation of gamer wrestlers. Seems to me playing video games is slightly less toxic than the shit those two got up to. Anyways, none of that has anything to do with 1996 and the completion of an embarrassing job due to pissing off the boss with your booking hot take. Now, it wasn't bad enough the Public Enemy lost the belts less than a week after getting them on a pre-taped show. They then had to come out on live WCW TV to job out to the new champs without even having the straps on the line, and then they're going to be dropping the straps within three weeks anyways. So instead of having a four-week run to solidify your status in the company, Public Enemy turned themselves into wrestling pariahs and would never get anywhere as a result ever again. As you all know by now, I'm not a really big hardcore wrestling guy, but still, I mean... Public Enemy were over huge for a lot of years and could have easily made the transition in the WCW to a more well-rounded team with a three-year guaranteed contract that they had. I just, I never like to see wrestlers get the shaft this way, but I like it even less when they have something that just needs the right booker to make them huge. Besides, it's not like they're the only ones that played politics backstage and wrestling in the fucking 90s. Less than a week later, Grunge comes down to the ring with no limp for this match. No wrapping around his knee, just the usual knee braces on. And uh, he's really not selling anything other than their usual entrance. And then, of course, he's bouncing on the balls of his feet before the bell. Because, you know, when your knee hurts, you jump up and down. Obviously. By contrast, Nick Patrick is still selling the neck and looking grumpier than ever. Now, listen, this is one of the few things that I think Bischoff and Sullivan actually got right. Cover up Nick Patrick's shit ruffling a bit. Wrestling. Ruffing. Jesus refing ability by turning him into a heel ref now to their credit here booker stevie ray and sherry did their best to make public enemy look good during this match despite the fact that they were jobbing we got a commercial break here mid-match which at least meant that the live crowd wasn't going to get cold by having no wrestling going on while we're at break and back from break we start with liz backstage looking amazing and beating down randy's door looking to explain the nwo arrived the outsiders wearing those bright <laughs> the breathe right strips the heat wear, and then cut a promo on them during the heat, during their match, from the audience. I mean, it was a shitty it was a shitty promo, but it was really well set up to the point where you really had to fucking try to fuck it up, which of course they would. Sherry hops up on the ring apron to close this thing out, gives Nick Patrick a hug, which, I mean, let's admit, he would have gone for that before the heel swerve. Rocco sells Parker's interference early and then jumps off the top rope into the table ringside without even trying to make it look like Parker caused that. Grunge puts his hands on Parker and then looks around for the chop block that came from the Heat, who then worked the knee and put him away. I mean, I have seen worse go-homes in matches. Not many, and usually in a bingo hall. If the public enemy were looking to prove they can work, they came up short. After this match, we cut to backstage where Jeff Jarrett arrives in a black limousine with the WCW world title on the front plate. Instead of learning from their mistakes in their rush to judgment on Sting, Larry and Tony conclude that because the limo's black, Jarrett must clearly be with the NWO. After spending the last few weeks apologizing to Sting. Here we go. Gotta love it. You are a big mark. See, I don't think so. I think if you just apply a little bit of logic and reason you can help people suspend their belief for just a little bit i'm not sure if that's him agreeing with me or fucking burying me bastard anyways tony uh and nick patrick do a promo from (laughs) 
Saturday night's pre-record. Patrick is issuing a $1 million fine for Savage touching him, which isn't what refs do, but a good angle nonetheless. He's also going to take Savage to court. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't even keep a straight face telling you about that. After this, DDP defeats Jim Powers. Uh, I gave that one three out of five. Did I even tell you what I gave the fucking public enemy match? Three and a half out of five. Sorry. All right. Next match. DDP defeats Jim Powers three out of five. Powers actually gets an entrance here, but uh, as over as a bag of peanuts in his entrance. I was trying to figure out why he's struggling to get over with the fan. I mean, in the ring, he's fine. But he just doesn't seem to know how to work the crowd. He's going through the paces without really understanding how or why you do the things that you do to get a crowd reaction. Like, he postures when you should posture, but he's not... I just, he's just not engaging. Like he just, it, don't get me wrong. Should probably be a little bit pissed off of being uh, where you are in the card for how long you've been wrestling. I understand all that shit, but there's no way you're moving up in the card by having this lackadaisical fucking promo- like performance under your belt. I mean, Jesus, fuck be a fucking professional. Would you? The match was so boring um, that we had to cut to a picture in picture promo with DDP where he's going to put something on burrito boy that Ajax can't take off. I mean, the 90s. Fucking the 90s. Burrito boy. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how quickly DDP pulled off a television saying that shit these days? Anyways. DDP helps Powers get some small pops, but it's a waste of effort as Powers hits fast forward every time he gets a little bit of a pop and ends up giving DDP all of the heat and all of the pops for this glorified squash match. Pretty much every point in this thing was for DDP with an honorable mention, of course, to Teddy Long taking that Nice little bump and match. Back from break, we get a ramp promo with Mike Tanay, Savage, and the Slim Jim driver, Jason Keller. Savage takes over the promo, pushing that jabroni Tanay out of the frame. And then they bury the NWO car that apparently hit the wall at the Charlotte race while the Slim Jim car plays 10th. Now listen, 10th doesn't sound awesome if you're a video game race car driver, but you got to understand that 10th is actually where a lot of race car drivers make their careers because a lot of them aren't getting the money or the notoriety to have a car that's got all the bells and whistles. Yes, of course, you can claim that it's stock car racing, but I mean, I mean, I hate to say watch Days of Thunder to know how unstock a stock car is, but I whatever. Fiction is weirder than reality anyways. There was a clever, this was a clever way to put over the NASCAR team, even though they technically buried the WCW car to put over the PP, the pay-per-view sponsors car. <laughs> Liz interrupts at the end of this thing. Um, <laughs> after Savage goes ahead and laces us all together to make this about him and Hogan. Savage's car got 10th. Hogan's hit the wall. I mean, it's not the worst way to bundle shit together in a really obvious marketing style, right? Anyways, she wants to explain, but Savage tells her that what's done is done and then walks away from her. That's actually pretty good. After this, the faces of fears, the, fi- the faces of fears, the faces of fear defeat high voltage. I gave that one out of five. Just, just a fucking botch fest from start to finish. Every high spot came up short for high voltage in this match, though to their credit, Ming and Barbarian gave them every fucking opportunity to get over. And listen, I like high voltage, so this was embarrassing. Benoit and Mongo come out with Deborah to catcall the faces of fear who they will face at Havoc. Luckily, the announcers are actually doing their job and explain that within seconds of the live camera going to them. After this week at Glacier, defeating <laughs> defeating Mike Wenner. Um, wow, I just... Zero point zero. I, I wish I could give it a negative score, but holy fucking fuck. 
Larry puts over Glacier's goddamn helmet during this match repeatedly. Not like a throwaway line. Repeat it. I swear to Christ, his direct quote was, it was passed down sensei to sensei. You fucking jobber. Jesus, fuck. Anyways, so just as a question, WCW is the anti-WWF, right? It's where the big boys play, right? And they want to separate themselves from the WWF's jobber versus name guy bullshit, right? But here we are doing just that. Jobber Mike Winner, who, Jesus fuck, gets jobbed out to Glacier doing all of his stupid little fucking karate bullshit, and then spends, I'm not even fucking lying, hold, I got, they even gave you a stopwatch on the screen, posing and doing the stupid karate bullshit for a full minute to burn time for hour two to start with the goddamn fireworks. Holy fuck. I'm just, I wish the Glacier shit didn't work on me. I don't remember seeing this afterwards. I really struggle to think that 17-year-old Dark Fox would have gone, yeah, this is cool. A minute of posing before the fucking thing. What is this guy? I can imagine. I, I hear the high-pitched crack in the voice. What is this guy? I think he's Hogan. Just fucking hell, man. Fucking hell. Hour two kicks off with Bischoff also claiming that Jeff Jarrett is part of the NWO again. On the heels of, like, what has it been? Three weeks of apologizing to Sting for making that same fucking assumption? God damn it. Oh my God, I wish it would have happened already. Maybe WCW would still be around. Jeff Jarrett defeats Hugh Morris after this. I gave that one three out of five. Hugh Morris comes out with a new entrance jacket. There's um thrills and random badges all over the fucking thing. I mean, it's classy. In true Bill DeMott's fashion. Feeling hard done by from missing out calling yet another Glacier martial arts match, Bischoff tries to call this match like these are real kicks and strikes. Now listen, kiddies. Wrestling moves have weird names because they aren't real strikes, and you don't want to expose the business that way. That's why it's not an uppercut, it's a European uppercut. So that when kids see it, they're like, oh, is that how they do uppercuts in Europe? And then the fucking thing is over. If you said it was an uppercut, they'd be like, well, why didn't he punch his bottom of his chin? I thought closed fists were illegal. What the fuck is going on here? That's the reason why wrestling moves have funny names. No one uses a drop kick in a real fight unless they want to die. Anyways, the whole match, the announcers keep claiming that Jared is NWO while Jared essentially steals Flair's strut and his finisher. Gee, I wonder why Rick hated this guy so much. <laughs> Tony Schiavone and Jeff Jarrett do a ramp promo afterwards. Tony confronts Jarrett about the NWO allegations, but Jarrett tells Hogan the NWO can stick it. Bischoff humps on air, and now he feels better about life. Jesus fucking Christ. Another NWO shirt promo. Buy the shirt! I actually did clip that this week, but then fucked up and put it on my soundboard. You're welcome. Back from break, the announcers discuss the Luger-Anderson match coming up on Halloween Havoc as a result of Luger's failures at war games. Arn Anderson with Woman defeats the Renegade afterwards. It gave that one two and a half out of five. Renegade with no face paint, but let's see if Anderson can put this guy over. Today quips that the Anderson philosophy of working an opponent's weak spot is working to a T here, to which Eric agrees. And then Tony doubles down and says, Anderson's been working on Renegade's head. 
I, you know, the thing is, I, I, I don't really like Mike tonight. I don't think that that's a secret at this point. Uh, I don't think of him much as an announcer. As an analyst, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, as a writer and an analyst, absolutely. As an announcer, eh, I'm not really a huge fan. But that fucking exchange was absolute goddamn gold. So good. So good. I mean, yeah. Overall, this was a nice old-school wrestling match. Nothing really to crow about, but one of the better Renegade matches I've ever seen. Post-match, Anderson ties Renegade up in the Tree of Woe and starts laying the bootstone while Woman pulls Renegade's hair. Luger runs in to save the day, and we go to commercial break as Anderson scarpers away. That's right. I just used scarper. You're jealous. I know you are. It's okay. I understand. Lex Luger defeats Dave Taylor after this. I gave that one and a half out of five. Um, Jeeves doesn't take up his usual position in front of Taylor who pushes him around a bit and then after Jeeves tosses down the flag Taylor kicks him in the fucking face and goddamn Jeeves sold it Bischoff buries Nick Patrick's $1 million fine here correctly stating that the exec committee would be the one to issue or agree to any fines Ooh, we go to a pre-recorded promo from Luger mid-match then Bischoff buries that promo too <laughs> saying the same shit I always say about Luger promos about the flexing of each tit now listen the difference here being that I'm not running WCW in 1996. It's my job to bury this shit. It's Bischoff's job to literally put it over. I, Jesus, fuck. Post-match, Anderson waffles Luger with a chair a few times while three refs rush out to chase him off. After this, we get uh, Rick Steiner with Scott Steiner at ringside, defeating Chris Benoit with Steve, Mongo, McMichael, and Deborah. Oh, my God, this fucking bimbo again, McMichael. I gave that one surprisingly three out of five. This was another great old-school wrestling match between Steiner and Benoit. Now, Scott Steiner legit has two ruptured discs. Um, he's legit hurt. He's supposed to go in for surgery in a couple of weeks. So he's going to mix the ne- mix, miss, Jesus, the next Japan tour as well as missing the next pay-per-view. But, of course, I mean, and I don't say this in a negative way, they don't want him off camera for too long. So he has come out this week, pumped himself full of painkillers and a couple of shots of Jack, which is at his time, at this time, his favorite so that he can go down and do a couple little things without feeling really fucking horrible. Uh, anyways, Rick gets his hands on the case, nails Mongo, then nails Benoit. Then he tosses the case right back past Nick Patrick, who watched it go past him and then counted the pin anyways. Bischoff calls him uh, an enigma, Nick Patrick, and that's generous, I thought. There's a Halloween Havoc promo with most of the card nailed down now as part of the promo package, and after this, we get the main event, or at least what was supposed to be the main event, the WCW United States Championship on the line, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage. Now, I feel like a lot of what happened all night can be explained away by essentially what happens in the last... 10, 15 minutes of the show. So we're backstage. The Nasty Boys, DiBiase and Hogan are walking. And DiBiase has some NWO paperwork for the Nasty Boys to fill out. But for now, they need to watch Hogan's back while he goes out to have a word with Savage. All the while while Flair's entrance music is on. Savage is, by the way, in the ring right now. Flair is attacked backstage by the NWO while Liz and Woman watch on. Um... (sighs) The announcers wonder why Liz is there, except that she's either with the horsemen 
or she's with the NWO. So either way, she's going to be there. I'm not quite sure where the confusion comes in, but it is confusing to me. And I just, Jesus, fuck. Anyways, Flair, (laughs) Jesus, Giant gets his hands on the U.S. title and backs Liz into the arena where Macho steps in with a chair. Hogan nails Savage from behind with a clothesline and then starts laying a beating on Savage. Liz tries to pull Hogan off of Savage, but of course Hogan grabs her by the hair and marches her down to the ring while Savage, who is now being carried by the Giant, is being marched down to the ring as well. Now, the Giant starts to climb the stairs at ringside. And I don't know if this is just because he's a big clumsy jackass or if he kind of stepped funny on the stairs, but there's a bit of an embarrassing botch here as Giant basically falls off the stairs and drops Savage back first into the point of the stairs. Now, to his credit, Savage does not react to having his spine fucking dropped on steel. And Eric, to his credit, tries to cover up the whole fucking botch by claiming that the steps collapsed under the weight of the giant and then savage combined even though the giant threw the stairs away and they were in perfect condition (laughs) hogan lays a beating on savage in the ring while the giant makes liz watch um because hogan apparently owns her um the the promo's a little bit fucking weird and the way giant starts by holding her by the arms makes sense like that just makes sense by the way his hands are as big as her fucking biceps and granted she's a little lady but jesus fuck now eventually the giant decides to hold her by the face and i'm not quite sure why because we all understand the giant's got some big goddamn hands but jesus fuck like it's i just i I there can be only one another can't get out of here anyways um Hogan then calls for the NW to destroy the announce position so to help out the NW monster truck comes out with six sitting bitch and revs its motor a little bit but does no actual damage as we go to black mostly because it can't do any damage to the fucking set because the set's bigger than the monster truck and the monster truck is designed to crush pre-flattened cars not, I don't know. I guess it could push the stage around a little bit, but you know, having a monster truck come out and rev his engines a little bit. America! And I mean, Jesus. I, whatever. Anyways, this week was pretty shit and lackluster for Nitro, if you couldn't tell by my fucking tone through this whole goddamn show. It started off fairly promising, but the squash matches just keep piling up and they just killed the fucking crowd. I mean, I guess it could have been worse, I'm not sure how, but it felt like everything that was done all night long from a production standpoint to the actual booking of the matches, it felt like it was all improv because all of the writing and booking time was eaten up by the last 10, 15 minutes of the show. So despite a few rays of sunshine in some promos and the matches themselves, the fucking episode stank, man. And that sucks because it was the debut of the NWO monster truck with the goddamn Hogan arms thing on the side. I mean, it, yeah, I know. They just repainted the Hogan WCW truck. I get that. And that's fine. But Jesus, man, the whole thing was all for that as a payoff. Like, holy fuck. It just. <laughs> That was an abortion of a show. 
Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.